to fight for me. Oh, I'm gonna sing in the middle of the storm. Louder and louder, you're gonna hear my praises roar. Up from the ashes, hope will arise. Death is defeated, the King is alive. I raise a hallelujah. Sing it out. With everything inside of me. In the middle of the storm.
we worship you, God. Hallelujah. The King is alive this morning. Amen. It is so good to be in the Lord's house this morning. I'm going to read to you from the 23rd Psalm. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cups, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen.
situation on the situation of those that you're praying for so if you need prayer this morning if you need to see a victory this morning in your life or a a loved one's life or over a sickness or over any need that you have the pastors are going to come now and we invite you to come don't give up hope on that situation there was plenty of times when you probably felt like giving up on yourself and Jesus found you He never gave up hope on you, so don't give up hope on the situation that you're praying for. Don't give up hope on the person that you're praying for. Because I believe that when we pray, when we actually believe, when we step out in faith, we will see a victory. And maybe it's not the way that we wanted it to be. Maybe it's not the victory that we thought. But in the end, the battle belongs to Christ. And he's fighting for you. And he's fighting with you. and he's fighting against those who are coming against you, the enemy. So we invite you forward now. Believe in that victory that Jesus has for you. I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory for the battle.
himself will fight for you. There it is. The Lord himself will fight for you. Stay calm. And I felt like the Lord spoke to me and said to pray calmness, to pray peace over the people this morning. And maybe you felt like you, you know, didn't want to come up for whatever reason, but everybody, you know, Philo of Alexandria said, be kind because everybody is facing a battle that you know not of. And everybody in here is facing something. Even if you want to come to church and put on your nice clothes and act like you have everything together, everybody is facing something. So Jesus, we just come to you. We're not praying over your people this morning, God. Lord, the scripture says that you're going to fight the battle for us. We just need to stay calm. But it's hard to stay calm sometimes, God. It's hard when the anxiety comes in from every which way. It's hard when the pressure comes in. It's hard when you have bills to pay and you don't know where, to, where they're coming from, God. It's hard whenever you have family members that are hurting and you don't know how they're going to be healed. You don't know what the situation is going to turn like. But God, right now, we just turn that over to you. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you would send your powerful Holy Spirit right now to drive out all anxiety, to drive out all fear, to drive out all unrest. And Lord, I pray peace. And I pray calmness. I pray, I pray security over your people this morning. I pray, Lord, that they would have trust in you, Lord, that, that we would trust in you, Lord, that we are going to see a victory, that we are going to see your hand move in our life, God. I pray right now for a release. I pray right now for a shift in the atmosphere. Holy Spirit, I pray that in the hearts of your people, Lord, that we would begin to see anxiety released, that we would begin to see fear released, Lord, and that we would just feel a flood, a wave of trust, a flood, a wave of peace, a flood, a wave of calmness over your people, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. There's power in the mighty name of Jesus. Just speak that name over your life right now. Jesus, we just pray over every single situation, over every single situation, Jesus. We're not done with this service yet. There's power in the name of Jesus. To break every chain, break every chain, break every
you're above everybody else, but yet you still care for my little needs that I have. You made the whole world. You, you formed us. You created us. And you still care when my heart hurts. You still care when I have heartbreak or when I, when I need you. You care and you see that and you see each and every one of us. So God, I just thank you for your unfailing love. Your love that doesn't look at race. Your love that doesn't look at color. Your love that doesn't look at ethnicity. Your love that doesn't look at age or how we look the clothes that we wear, you look at our heart and you see your child, you see somebody that you created and you see somebody that you love. I thank you for that. We worship you, we thank you for showing up this morning. You're always here, God, but we thank you for showing up in a special way and touching hearts. We worship you. God, I just pray that your presence goes with us throughout this service, even when the songs end, even when we leave this building. I pray that you'll go with us, that this, this presence that we feel, this love that we feel, this unity that we feel now, I pray that it'll go with us and stay with us. So that when we, we face hardship this week, when we face hard things this week we'll have that with us we'll know that you're by our side you're fighting that battle for us we don't have to do it alone and I thank you for that we love you we worship you you are holy you are worthy of our praise about chains being around our lives as addiction to drugs or addiction to, to alcohol or as addiction to, to things, but sometimes there are chains of fear that just have us so gripped and so wrapped up. Let them go this morning. The Lord is here in a, in a powerful way. Like there's still something that you need to give to him or, or, or turn over to him or, or, or get prayed about with, I'm going to give you another chance. Because as we were singing that last song, I thought about Jacob. As he wrestled with God, he said, I won't let you go. I won't let you go until you bless me. And the Lord is here this morning in a, in a unique and a powerful way, in, in a way that He that we don't always experience. So if you need to drop something off, if you need to give something to Him, if you need to turn something over to Him, if you need Him to bless you, 
I don't care if you've already come up for prayer. If you feel like you need to come again, come again. We're going to sing again because I'm not going to rush through this part of the service. Not when I can feel his presence as strong as I do right now. He's here. Don't let him go until you get what you need. If you want to spend some time in prayer, just kneeling, if you just want to come and get prayed for again and turn something over to God, lay down your anxiety, lay down your worry. We sing about giving it all to him and then we lay awake all night worried. Jesus is here this morning. So we're going to sing again. I don't believe he's done with us. Come now.
We're about to change the order of the service. But I don't want you to be left out. So we're going to sing the song one more time. If you want prayer, come.
for the work that was done in these altars. I thank you for the lives that were changed. Lord, I thank you for the burdens that were laid down. I thank you that you pick them up. But I just thank you for what you do for us. God, you come and you do what we cannot do. God, you care about us. You care about our struggle. Not only know about our struggle, but you care and you have done something about it. Lord, we worship you this morning. We glorify you this morning. Lord, we take a moment to just thank you. Lord, we thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your power. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for all that you do. Lord, we worship you. 
God, I pray that this same spirit we feel now, we would feel the rest of the service as we open up our hearts and our minds to receive from you. God, let us be pliable in your hands today. Let us be pliable clay as the potter shapes us and forms us. Do a work in us today. Do a work in each and every one of us today. God, may we not leave here the way that we walked in. Through the power of your spirit and through the power of your living word, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, musicians. I know you put in. The church is going to be giving a gift to um, one of our members who um, isn't, isn't here right now. Um, many of you know um, Butch. Um, he was in a motorcycle accident, and he is in KU Medical Center. He's not conscious. Um, his mom is having to drive there every day, and since the she was furloughed at her job at the beginning of um, the pandemic, so she has to drive. She's been driving to Kansas City every single day, and doesn't have um, doesn't have a whole lot of money. The money's running out, and um, as her church family, we're going to do something about that. So, so um, if you if you want to give towards that, you can specify it or just put it in the plate. We're going to give something whether you give towards it or not. Um, <laughs> but if you want to give towards it, um, you can do that, and it, it will be well appreciated. That's what we're called to do, to bear one another's burdens, right? Bear ye one another's burdens, Paul said, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so what does it mean to fulfill the law of Christ? To walk alongside somebody who's struggling. Put your arm around him. Say, what can I do to help you? That's the law of Christ, according to Paul. Uh, we did help a, a family move yesterday. So uh, we had, I want to thank those who helped. We did have some faith in action yesterday as we helped um, a single mom and her um, daughter move into a new place. It's going to be great for them. We were able to take them. Um, a lot of the stuff that had been donated in the back, a lot of the diapers and baby clothes and stuff. She's having a little girl, so we were able to take a lot of that. If you have any baby girl clothes, um, the baby girl's about to be born, um, that you don't need or use anymore, or any diapers, if you want to bring anything for that, you can do that and let me know. Um, other announcements? Um, we're going to be having a mowing party here pretty soon around here. Obviously, um, if you're interested in uh, being part of that, I'd be more than happy to add you to the team. 
Isn't the Lord good? I mean, I don't even know what time it is, but the musicians have to be tired. Marissa and Isaac are wearing new blisters on their hands from playing the guitar. But God is good. I already feel like I've been to church. I already feel changed. I already feel different. I already feel like pressure has been lifted off of me. I already feel like a burden's been lifted. God is good. God is good. That's all my announcements, I believe. At this time, Pastor Walker is going to come and break the bread of life for us. That, but, oh, there. That. Cutting in and out, it's okay. We're good? Is that good? That's good right there. I, I hear it. Okay. Preaching is foolishness. The foolishness of preaching. Um, and just, Paul just, just certainly was a, certain, Paul was certainly a very spiritual guy, you know. I'm sure he had many of these moments. Thank you. <laughs> This is, this is really bad. Good thing there's no camera this morning. What in the world is going on? Boom! There we go. All right, we're back. Paul certainly felt many of these moments where the presence of God would come in a very special way. And I, I think that's why he said that, maybe. It's foolishness compared to the actual spirit of God speaking to you. Um, but... We still try, and it's still got one of God's chosen mediums to, to speak to people. So we're going to get into it uh, for today. As Christians, we should, as Christians, we should be vehemently opposed to all sin. Let me say that again. As Christians, we should be vehemently opposed to all sin. There, I, I'm afraid that there is a type of understanding floating around within contemporary Christianity that does not take sin seriously enough. They will say things like, God loves you just as you are, which is 100% true. But they forget that the next part is that he loves you so much that you aren't going to stay the same way. That when the love of God comes into your life, it is the fire of Pentecost that burns out every part of you that is not of God. It, it takes all of the sin and roots it out. And so in your life as a Christian, you've got to be on board with that. You've got to say, God, what sin is in my life? Examine me, O Lord. Examine my heart. What sin is in my life? I want to get that out of my life. I want to root it and get it out of my life. That's how we should be in every single day of our lives, constantly having the Lord examine us because we all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. So what Romans 3.23 says, all of sin and all have fallen short of the glory of God. So we know we sin, I sin, you sin, even people who are uh, in, in church positions, believe it or not, we sin all the time. We, we, we have sinful nature within us and we have tendencies to sin, tendencies to do the wrong thing. And so we have to constantly be turning back to God. That's what repentance is. If you've ever heard the word in church, repentance. Repentance simply means to turn back to God, to return to God, to return to the Lord. 
My message today, though, is what to do when you fail. Because you will. We should be opposed to all sin and try to root the sin out of our life. But when you try, you will fail. Because on this side of Christ coming back, right? Christ has not come back yet and has not made us into everything that we will be. He's not perfected us fully yet. We all have weaknesses and tendencies and we will fail. And we will fall short time and time again. You get back up and you feel the burdens lifted off of you. And you feel like, man, this week we're going to be good. We're going to be good. I, you know, I'm not going to sin this week. I'm going I'm to follow the Lord, right? I'm going to do what God called me to do. And then, then you fail. And then we all fall short. So what do we do when we fail? What do we do when we sin? It's good that we had uh, service the week we did this morning because I really have some short notes. And so we'll be, we'll be getting through this quick. Probably the first time you ever heard that from me. But what do we do when we sin? What do we do when we fail. Typically, I see two kinds of responses whenever Christians fail. I'm going to read two sets of scriptures to you this morning, and we're going to talk about these two different responses that people have when they fail, when they face a stumbling block, when something happens in their life that's a trial, a a sin, and whenever something comes uh, up in their life, in their walk with God, there's two responses we have this morning. There's one of them that we should act like, and there's one of them that we should not act like. I want to talk about the way that we should not act first this morning. Genesis chapter 3. We know the story, right? God creates the whole world. He creates Adam and Eve, and they are living together harmoniously in this garden, right? This beautiful garden. They're together. They're in the garden. They're enjoying each other's presence, enjoying each other's company in this beautiful, beautiful garden. There's Adam and Eve there. And and what God told them not to do, right? Do not eat of uh, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat this tree. There's one tree you should not eat, and don't eat this tree, right? But they, they failed, right? And that's the topic of the, this morning's sermons, right? What to do when we fail. They failed. They ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They ate this fruit. The one thing that God told them not to do, they did it anyways. They sinned. They failed. They fell short of God's glorious standard. They crossed the line. And what did they do? Genesis chapter 3, starting at verse 7. At the moment, at that moment, the moment when they ate of the fruit, Their eyes were open, and suddenly they felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord among the trees. They hid from the Lord among the trees. Then the Lord God called the man and said, where are you? Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Typically, whenever we fail, we can have a response where we run away from God. Where the devil, the enemy, will pile on top of us shame and fear and condemnation and all sorts of spiritual darkness, anxiety, 
pressure, all the things that maybe were lifted off your shoulder this morning, when we fail, when we fall short, when we do things we know we ought not to do, the devil comes in and just in the way that the serpent uh, whispered in Adam and Eve's ear, he'll whisper in your ear and he, and, and he will heap shame and condemnation on you. And these are the things, this is the direction we turn. So when we fail, oftentimes we turn away from God because we're afraid, we're afraid. Like we, we have shame in us and we have condemnation on top of us. Listen to what God says in verse 9. He says, the Lord called the man, where are you? Now listen, God knows everything, right? This is not a question of geographical location. This is not a question of latitude and longitude. It's not like, where, where are you? God knows where they're at. He's asking Adam. He's asking Eve. He's looking right in their soul, and he says, where are you? It's not a question of geographical location, but it's a question of existence. It's a question of the soul. And what I love about the story of Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and 4, with Cain and Abel, all of this, is that it can be easily extrapolated to today. It happened then, yes, but it happens today too, right? God is looking at each and every one of us and saying this morning, where are you? Where are you? Because when we sin, when we rebel against God, when we turn against God, for, for so long, I, okay, let me, let me use this. I need, an, I need an analogy here. Let's use these stands, okay? Usually I do this analogy with chairs when I explain this to people, but I want, I want to do it like this. And I was not planning to do this this morning. If you can tell, this is very impromptu. But this is, this is a metaphor for what we think happens, but what actually happens. So let's talk about this with these two stands. So usually I do, like I said, I do this with two chairs, but, and we have plenty of chairs in here, but this will be easier. So this one will be God. It's a little bit taller, right? It's a little bit, a little bit sturdier too. You know, strong tower. You know, that's what the Bible says. So, so, oh man, that's about to come out, isn't it? No, okay, now it's the Lord. Now it's sturdy. Okay. Anyways, so, so here's what we think happens, right? We sin. We turn our back on God. And so what happens is the devil comes in and gets into our mind, gets into our head, begins to, to heap shame and condemnation and worry and fear and anxiety on top of us. And what we think happens is we think this will happen. We think that when we turn around, we will find God to be like this. That's what we think. That's what we've tricked ourselves into thinking. We think that God has turned his back on us. God has never turned his back on us. God has always perpetually been for us. The Bible says God is for us, not against us. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So any promise we see in scripture has to be eternal. God is for us. We think he's against us, but he's always been for us. And so what happens is we turn away from God in our sin and we never turn back to God and we begin to move away from God. And then we sin a little bit more. And then the really religious people in our family get after us and try to have an intervention with us and try to, try to rebuke us. So then we feel even more shame we walk a little bit farther away from God. And then we watch a video on the internet that gets us to think like, man, well, does God even exist altogether? Okay, let me walk a little bit farther away from God. And then, then, then eventually we begin to get into sinful lifestyles, like where the whole, our whole lives are, are filled with sin. And we think, you know, maybe there is a God, maybe there isn't, but if there is one, if I walked into a church, it would fall down on top of me because of how unholy I am, right? So we get a little bit farther away from God. You see the distance that's been created there? That is what sin and that is what shame will do to you in this response. 
What do you do when you fail? This is what not to do when you fail. This is what we don't do. This is what we don't do. We don't run away from God. We do not turn away from God when we fail. I don't know how the story would be different, but just imagine for a moment, what if Adam and Eve had not hid in the garden? What if they had ran to God on their knees in repentance? What if they had God, you know, please forgive us. You know, whatever, imagine, just imagine for a moment. How would the story be different? I don't know. I don't know. But they ran away in shame and they hid. And the Lord God asked him, where are you? And he's asking you this morning, where are you? Maybe you have sinned. Maybe you have a particular sin in your life. Maybe there's something that, that you do or maybe there's many things that you do. Maybe you live in a sinful lifestyle. Maybe there's things in your life that you know you should not do, but you do anyways. And you know that God doesn't like it and you want to remove it from your life, but it keeps pestering you. It keeps getting at you. You keep doing it. You keep falling into that sin. And maybe because of that this morning, you're walking around in shame. Hopefully after the Holy Ghost blowout we just had, God has lifted that off your shoulders a little bit. But the devil will try to put it back on you. Trust me, he'll try. He'll try to put it back on you, try to put it back into your heart. You were not meant to walk around in that shame, in that condemnation. Now, there's a difference between condemnation and conviction. I want, I want to make that very clear this morning. Conviction is when the Holy Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit gives you the realization that you have sinned and it leads you to turn to God. Condemnation is when you have the realization you've sinned, but you turn away from God and you break your relationship with God and you walk away from God. That is not meant how we were meant to be. So I've told you how we should not act this morning. I want to tell you now how we should act, how we should have a relationship with God. We have a relationship with God, right? Christ has died for us. We accept him as our Lord and Savior. We say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to be a Christian. I want to, I want to live for you. All these things. But we sin. We sin and we fall short. Paul was a guy in the New Testament. He wrote a lot of books, if you didn't know. He wrote a lot of books in the New Testament, over half the New Testament. And the Apostle Paul, although he, one could argue he was the greatest Christian who ever lived, you could argue that probably, I would say. Maybe Pastor Sharon, you think? I think he, pro he probably was. You could argue that. But he says in Romans 7, he goes on this great big long tear in Romans chapter 7. If, if you read this for yourself, uh, it's a little homework you can do when you go home. Romans chapter 7, Paul goes on this great big long tear about sin. And we think the Apostle Paul is this great and mighty man of God because he was. But he was also a man filled with weakness, just like you and I. And he goes on this great big long tear in uh, Romans chapter 7 where he says this. The trouble is within me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And this is where he gets really hard on himself here. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. And I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anybody. Can anybody relate? But if I do what I don't want to do, I, don't really, or I, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. There's a lot of words in there. I have discovered this principle of life. Uh, 
that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me slave to sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Who will free me from this life dominated by sin and death? When I fail, when I turn from God, when I walk away, when I do things I know I should not do, there's things I want to do, but I do not do them. The things I don't want to do, I end up doing. When I sin, when I fall short, whenever I feel like a piece of trash because all I've done all week long is disobey the Lord and I don't know what I'm doing. I feel like I've been, I've been, I'm full of shame and a full of condemnation because I don't know why I'm acting this way. Anybody ever been there? Anybody who's not agreeing with me right now is a liar. <laughs> and there's your sin, right? We've all been there. We've all felt that way. Who will deliver us from this? What miserable people we are. Thank God. The answer is Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. Romans 8, verse 1. This is where I want to get to this morning. So now... There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What happens when we have a relationship with God and we fail, rather than walking away in sin and shame and condemnation, we realize, because what the Word tells us, that in Christ there is no condemnation. That when we sin, we can turn and we can go back to our Heavenly Father who loves us and who has called us and who has died for us and who has rose again for us and He's called you by name. So when you sin, you don't have to walk away in condemnation, but you walk back to God because there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. This is very important. It goes right along with what the Holy Spirit was speaking to us this morning about the burdens being lifted. Because what happens is when you face trials, situations, sin in your life, the devil, the enemy, will whisper in your ear condemnation of all kinds. But the Bible says that there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So if you're a Christian walking around with shame and condemnation, that is a spirit, but it's not the Holy Spirit. That's an evil spirit. That's a spirit of the enemy coming into your life to try and to lead you into things that are not of God. The Holy Spirit leads us into all truth. That's what Jesus said. And the truth of the matter is this, that there is no condemnation. There is no shame. There's no burden. Why? Because on that cross, he carried our shame, our burden, our condemnation. He carried it all, every single bit of it. First Peter 5, 7 says, cast your anxieties on the Lord, for he cares for you. Cast your anxieties on the Lord. Well, you know, that's what, that's what Christ was doing on Calvary. So Christ, on top of the physical beating he was taking, he was feeling the spiritual weight of the world, the, the spiritual darkness of the world, the shame, the condemnation, the burden being put upon him. He bore it on the cross. He bore our shame and our condemnation. We don't have to live with that anymore. That's good news. That's good news for somebody in here. That's good news for all of us in here, that we don't have to live with condemnation in our hearts, in our lives anymore. And if you are 
I just mentioned interventions earlier. You need a Holy Spirit intervention. You need a, a come to Jesus moment. Because when you come to Jesus, you realize that there is no condemnation, that he loves you and that he has called you and that he is taking you places that you can never dream of. I, I was praying this over some people this morning and so I maybe just feel led to share it here. That, that, that scripture, the Bible says that a man will come up with his plan, but the Lord orders his steps. The Lord orders his steps. That's what God has in store for you. The Bible says, Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you. I know the thoughts I think towards you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you. Plans to grow you. We think in, in, in it, it's in our head. It's, it's the devil gets in our head. It's, it's our mindset. And it's, it's, sometimes it's like religious fundamentalism. People will keep the shame upon you. But we think that when we sin, we think that when we sin, that God does this and that God wants nothing to do with us anymore. But that's not the truth at all. That's not the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel is Romans 5, 8, that yet, while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were in our sin, while we were in our rebellion, while we were way over here, not even here, while we were way over here, Christ died for you. Even when you didn't know it yet, even when you had not yet been born yet, the shame, the condemnation, the sin that you feel, he already bore it. He already bore it. You don't have to. That's something that we have to yield to him. We have to give it up to him. And we know that when we give it up to him, when we yield it to him, then we can turn to him. Because he, we know that he's right there. We know that he's waiting for us. I, I already mentioned the cross. Luke 23, 34. Jesus is hanging there. This is a very quoted scripture because I think it's probably top five most powerful scriptures in the whole Bible. Jesus hanging there on the cross, being murdered, by the Roman soldiers, says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Those words that Jesus is speaking is not just to the Roman soldiers, but to each and every sinner. It's the proclamation of forgiveness that Christ brings to each and every sinner. God, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And what I want to tell you this morning is that when you fail, when you fail and you turn away from God, and you decide, okay, I'm going to come back to God. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to try and reestablish this connection with God. I want, I, want to, I want to have this relationship with God. When you come back, what do you see? I don't know. So many people have so many different ideas about what God looks like. And I want to tell you this morning that God is not some white 80-year-old man with a beard sitting on a throne in the sky somewhere. But God looks exactly like Jesus of Nazareth hanging on the cross saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. That's what God looks like. Proclaiming forgiveness to whosoever will, right? For God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son. Whosoever will believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. The God that many of us grew up thinking about is a God that wants to exact vengeance on his enemies, but Jesus looks at his enemies and says, forgive them. And when you make yourself an enemy of God, when you put enmity between you and God by sinning, by turning your back on God, how do you think God feels towards you? He loves you. He's called you. He has a spot for you. The Bible says that in my father's house, there are many mansions or many rooms. 
right? He has a spot for you. We trick ourselves too many times, people, into believing in this, this fake version of God when Christ has revealed to us fully who God is. The arms of the cross are still open to you. They're still open. Jesus could have died anyway. You know, they could have probably come up with something even more torturous. But how is he hanging there? Arms wide open, right? They say a picture's worth a thousand words. That right there speaks volumes. The arms wide open, speaking forgiveness. That's the God that you will find when you come back. After we sin, we don't have to live in this condemnation, but we know that Jesus is right there. I'm almost done. Romans chapter two, verse four. Paul says this, that the kindness of God leads us to repentance. That's what he says. The kindness of God leads us to repentance. I know many of you growing up, I know myself growing up, you know, you spend time at these altars and, and you, would, you would come into a place of repentance because you were afraid of God. The Bible says there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. We turn to God, not because we think that he's going to destroy us or that he's super angry with us. We turn to God because his kindness and his love is unfailing and it's lavished upon us for a thousand generations. That's why we turn to God because of his kindness. His kindness leads us to repentance. His kindness, the kindness of God the goodness of God, the love of God leads us to repentance. The heart of God leads us to obedience, not by fear, but by love, by love. We walk towards God because we realize that he's our loving heavenly father, that he loves us, that he has plans for you. Jesus said that if you evil fathers know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to you? Some of you in here, you're not even evil when you give good gifts. How much more will your heavenly father give good gifts? God has good things in store for you. God has plans and purposes. That's another thing I prayed over some people this morning. That God has plans and purposes for you. And when we turn from God, when we turn our backs on God, we trick ourselves. The devil gets in and tricks us into thinking that God has shut the door on us. But the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. God has not given up on you. God has not closed the door on you. And when you fail, and you will, this week probably, today probably, when you fail, when you turn your back on God, God is there. God is there. Ready to restore you, ready to heal you, ready to convict you, yes, ready to teach you, but above all, ready to love you, ready to love you and ready to, 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 to just as a parent would teach a child, the Lord will teach you and to, to draw you into holiness and righteousness, to walk in obedience with him. So, told you it was gonna be short. That's my message for today. Don't walk around in shame and condemnation. The Lord has lifted that off of you. And, and this, you know, I would really, really was not planning this. This is honestly crazy how God works. He literally lifted it off of you this morning. Literally lifted it off of your shoulders for many of you. Do not put that back on. Do not put that back on. When you're in those moments, this is, this is just something, a practice, you know, I've, I've kind of developed in my life is, is when I feel, when I feel like that shame, that condemnation coming in, when I feel like, 
I know I've done something wrong, but I'm like, God, I want, God, God I'm sorry, I want, I want to turn back to you, you know, but then we get in our own heads and stuff like that. Remember this morning. Remember how you felt. Remember the love, and the presence, and the power you felt in this place. The holy hush. The, the presence so strong that you can hardly speak. That presence is available to you, even in that moment. That sweet, sweet presence is available to you all time. And God is available to you and he will speak to you in those moments where we get in our own heads and we trick ourselves, you know. God's calling you. His kindness is calling you to repentance, calling you back to himself, constantly calling you back, calling you back, calling you back. The Bible says that return to me and I shall return unto you. Return to me and I shall return unto you. I've always thought about that scripture, especially in light of what I've said this morning. And I think what happens is our perception. Our perception is that when we return to God, that he returns to us, as if God ever left. But you remember the story of the prodigal son? The story of the prodigal son, the son spends his inheritance and he goes off in this crazy tirade of wild living, spends all his money on prostitutes and, and drugs and alcohol and the whole nine yards, the whole shebang, the whole enchilada, whatever you could think of. He spends it all all of his money, wastes it all, realizes he's a loser and needs to come back home. But he knows he's a loser and he, he tries to prepare some speech for his dad. He tries to, tries to, God, okay, or Father, I'm gonna, you know, maybe you won't want me back as a son, but I come back as like a servant. You know, I could, I could work for you or something like that. We could work out some sort of business deal. But what is the nature and the character of the father in that story? Every single day, he goes out to the yard and is looking is waiting for his son to return home. And that's God. Even when you fail, even whenever you make mistakes, even when you turn your back on God, he never turns his back on you. And that's the gospel. That's the gospel. We've been taught for so long that the gospel is that for God so hated the world that he killed his son and that you need to believe in this. For God so loved the world that he's chasing after you. That he came, he, him, he wrote himself into the history books and he came and he's continually coming after you. There's no mountain he won't climb up. There's nothing that he won't tear down in coming after you. He's coming after you. And if you're here this morning and you have not committed yourself fully to him, we're gonna give that opportunity here in a minute because it's the sweetest thing of all. It's the sweetest relationship of all to know the Lord, to know him intimately, to know him that God is chasing after you day in and day out. And maybe you do know the Lord. I'm looking around at a, a room full of believers. But you know that you've sinned. You know you've fallen short. You know that you failed. God is waiting for you. God is waiting for you. The Savior that stretches arms out on that cross, his arms are perpetually stretched out, perpetually open, ready to bring the sinner home, ready to leave the 99 and go after the one. And that's what he wants for you, to bring you back into the fold, to bring you back into the flock. Time and time and time again. One last thing. Jesus and Peter are talking and Peter says, how many times should we forgive a person? You know, like what's the limit? Like seven times? You know, maybe after seven times we should give up because they're too mean or whatever. And Jesus said, 77 times seven. Just an arbitrary number, basically saying as many times as necessary. And that's how many times God will forgive you. Why would God ask you to hold, uphold a standard that he himself does not hold? So no matter how many times you failed, 
matter how many times you've fallen short, no matter how many times you've sinned, no matter how many things you've done wrong, the gospel is that God is always there, ready to forgive and ready to restore and ready to heal and ready to bring you back in to the full. So I'm gonna ask Savannah if they'll come back up and I'm gonna ask everybody else if you just close your eyes and bow your head just for, just for a moment and then we're gonna partake of communion.